What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kevo Vans Hoops Podcast, man. Back at it again today, Tuesday, March 21st. Yesterday was officially the first day of spring. We are out of the winter for a lot of you guys. I know it was a super cold winter. Speaking for myself, out here in Southern California, it was way too cold. So I'm glad that the sweet that the seasons, excuse me, have switched. But with that being said, as always, I hope all you guys are doing well out there. Hopefully all you guys are staying safe. Hopefully all you guys are staying healthy and just keeping a positive attitude and just knowing that the universe is working in your favor. Even when it feels like everything is falling down, the world around you is blowing up. Trust and believe that the universe is working in your favor and watch it indeed just do that. But with that being said, last week was the official kickoff of the 2023 NCAA tournament on the men's and the women's side. And to me, that first weekend, the round of 64 and the round of 32 are always the best just because there's so many games, so many different types of upsets that you could potentially see. You could see game winners. You see it all, right? Because there's so many different teams playing. But it little to the hype, and it honestly surpassed that. I'll honestly make the case that the NCAA tournament is the best sporting event in the world. I probably personally list it second after the World Cup because, of course, the World Cup only happens every few years. But the NCAA tournament is up there with all of the best sporting events ever. So getting into what happened, we're going to talk about the upsets first because I don't think anybody predicted a 16 seed to be the one seed this year just because the one seeds this year were really good between Purdue, Alabama, Kansas, and who was the last one? Purdue, Alabama, Kansas, and Houston were the four one seeds, right? And nobody, in my opinion, thought that Fairleigh Dickinson was going to beat that Purdue team. But as I tried to tell people all season long, having two young point guards that have not been there before is a tough, tough ask. And there's nothing against Braden Smith and there's nothing against Fletcher Lawyer, but you look at the Sweet 16 right now, every guard outside of Arkansas is a veteran and experienced guard. And Anthony Black is going to be a lottery pick, and he's going to play a long time in the NBA for the foreseeable future, right? So you have to give Tobin Anderson credit, and I just seen today he was actually hired by Iona to replace Rick Patino, who, of course, went on to St. John's. Ed Cooley left Providence. He's now at Georgetown. We'll get into that in a later date. But sticking with this game, like, Tobin Anderson and FDU's game plan defensively against Zach Eady was honestly phenomenal. Every time Zach Eady came down the floor and tried to post up, it was two to three guys on him every single time. And they literally just said, Zach Eady himself is not going to beat us because he's done that a lot this season. And he's literally the reason Purdue won the Big Ten and the Big Ten tournament championship. They said, we're going to allow the other guys to beat us, like Caleb First, Mason Gillis, and we're going to press the hell out of Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer because if you watched, especially during the back end of the season, Braden Smith was struggling to deal with full court pressure. And it wasn't just his fault alone. Like when you're dealing with the press, it's just like any other facet of basketball. You need your teammates to help you out. But because Braden Smith is so little, it's hard for him to see over the top of defenses. And when you're seeing different teams like Illinois and a couple other lanky teams in the Big Ten, it's hard for him to break that. And so you got to give FDU a lot of credit. They won two games. Again, Tobin Anderson did a phenomenal job. He now got an upgrade. He's going from FDU to Iona, so congrats to him. They lost in another banger of a game against a really good Florida Atlantic team who, man, that team right there, that Florida Atlantic team, you got to give Dusty May a lot of credit because 
I honestly had Memphis beating them in that first round matchup. And that was probably one of the most exhilarating games of the first round, that Memphis versus Florida Atlantic game, just because it was back and forth. It was high quality shot making. It was some defense going on back and forth. And at the end, it was just super dramatic. Kendrick Davis gets hurt. He limps out the game with an ankle injury because the defender didn't give him any space to land after he put up a three-point shot. You know, it was just so much going on. It was two tip-ins to keep the game highly close and contested within the last minute. And then literally, shout out to Dusty May. They drew up a great play out of the timeout from the baseline. He ran a shooter from one side of the court to the opposite corner. He pump faked. He went straight to the rim for an easy, uncontested layup. And then Memphis inbounds it. Alex Lomax doesn't even attempt a shot. He passes it across court. And Memphis doesn't even get off a shot before time expires. And just to see the agony of defeat on Memphis's face hurt me just because I was rooting for Penny. I'm not going to lie. It's nothing against Dusty May. It's nothing against the Owls of Florida Atlantic. But I was rooting for Penny because Penny really needed this. And of course, Dusty May and FAU definitely needed this, especially with the season that they've had. But Penny's been at Memphis for, I think, six years now, which is crazy already. But this was going to be, to me, not even going to be. This is probably going to end up, looking back at it, it might end up being Penny's best team at Memphis ever. And he couldn't even get a single NCAA tournament win. And that just goes to show you how hard it is to get wins in the NCAA tournament. You have a guard like Kendrick Davis. You have the oldest player in Division I basketball in DeAndre Williams. You have nothing but length and athleticism and more veterans between Alex Lomax and Malcolm Dandridge. And yet they were right there and lost the game. And I was so hurt for them just because I wanted it for DeAndre Williams. And I know that you look at it, Penny's been coaching a lot of these dudes for a long time. Like, yes, this was his first year with uh, Kendrick Davis, who's the all-time leading, I believe, points leader and assist leader in the AAC, the American. And then, of course, you know, again, you have DeAndre Williams, who's been there. But he's coached Alex Lomax and Malcolm Dandridge, I believe, since they were both in middle school. He went with them from middle school to high school at, at uh, Memphis East High School, excuse me. And then he's with them now in college at Memphis, and he coached them every single year of their collegiate career. So I know that loss is probably going to haunt Penny Hardaway for a very long time. But again, you have to give a lot of credit to that FAU team for not only beating Memphis, but for now advancing to the Sweet 16, where they will play a tough, tough Rick Barnes-led Tennessee team. And let's talk about the Vols real quick, because honestly, I picked them to lose in the first round. Um, Rick Barnes tournament history is very suspect, is very sketchy, and I'm not going to sit here and knock them because they are in the Sweet 16, and they're going to have a great chance to get to the Elite Eight and potentially even the Final Four. But what they did was, even with losing Sakai Ziegler for the season with the torn ACL, who's their starting point guard, they moved over Viscovi to the point guard spot, and everybody else, they just got bigger at each position. And shout out to Jemai Meshack. He's a Southern California product, originally from Rialto, went to Etiwanda High School, played for Coach Kleckner, a legend, um, one of their better defenders on this Volunteers team. He comes in and just makes an immediate impact, but they barely beat a good Louisiana Raging Cajuns team. You know, they were leading for a good portion of the game, but Louisiana was always right there just looking to make a run, and they just could never finally get over the hump. But then Tennessee just put their phone on the gas, and they closed it out. I think they won by 10. And so then... The matchup that a lot of people were looking for going into the weekend happened where you had Duke, who was coming off a, a blowout win over Max Acemas and Oral Roberts and Coach Mills out there in Oklahoma. In Tennessee, they came out early and set the tone against Duke. Plazic, Euros Plazic, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He came out the gates with two 
just tone setting fouls and he barely played the rest of the game but those two fouls literally indicated how the game was going to be played out the referees swallowed their whistles i don't think duke was ready at all to handle that type of physicality because you don't really see that type of physicality in the acc like one thing i will give tennessee credit for is that every coach who plays against them they always bring up the physicality they're going to beat you they're going to punch you all these different things and man again tennessee punched duke in the mouth and they had no response like the moment that tyrese proctor got tired because he was carrying them for a good stretch of the game I knew it was a wrap for Duke because nobody else could get them a consistent bucket. You got to give a lot of credit to Tyrese Proctor for just trying to will his team to the finish line. But at the end of the day, experience just won out. Sadly, Mark Mitchell didn't play in this game because a random weird injury popped up. But again, you got to give a lot of credit to Tennessee. Olivier Kamwa had the game of his life. He was hitting threes. He was getting big time dunks, putback dunks and ones. He did it all. He set the tone. And that was kind of my biggest concern with this Tennessee team just like any Rick Barnes team, is that they struggle to score. And you look at them like when you move Lascovi from that shooting guard, that off-guard spot, to the point guard, he loses a little bit of his shots. And then you got to play other guys in different scenarios. Like Josiah Jordan-James isn't a great shooter. Julian Phillips, I've been saying, does not get the ball probably as much as he should, but it is what it is. And look at it. Even with all my doubt, Tennessee is going to be playing for a chance to go to the Elite Eight this upcoming week. So... You got to give them a lot of credit, man. So that's what Tennessee did. Let's go to Alabama. Um, Alabama, I, I said, this. we're going to be quick with them. I said going into the tournament, um, as soon as Selection Sunday was announced, the brackets dropped. I said that Bama had, to me, the easiest path of all the one seats to get to the Final Four. They beat um, a pretty good Texas A&M Corpus Christi team, and they beat Maryland. You know, shout out to Coach Willard in his first year leading the Terps. He had a pretty successful season. I'm looking forward to see what he can do after that. But Bama handled business. That's Alabama. They're going to play San Diego State. And San Diego State is a team that I try to tell people, especially on Get a Bucket, if you listen to Get a Bucket um, with me and Chris LeBron for Off the Ball Network, for Off the Ball, I said on our very first episode that San Diego State was a team that is destined to get to the Final Four. Now, they're going to have to play one of the best teams, if not the best teams, in the Sweet 16 to get there in Alabama. But when you look at what they did, First of all, they beat a really good Charleston team. Charleston was the hottest, you know, mid-major darling of the season. They had a lot of wins. Successful season, nonetheless. But I like San Diego State in that game just because Brian Dutcher, even though he hasn't had the most tournament success as a head coach, he's still been here before and he's had that experience. And especially with this roster, this roster, pretty much everybody on the roster outside of like Darion Tremel and a couple others and Micah Parrish were on the team last year. And now you return guys like Matt Bradley. Lamont Butler, Nate Mensa, uh, a, a rope. Like, they just have so many different guys, guys that have been there, done that. And I always say, experience matters. And that's all it comes down to. And now San Diego State is holding down the Mountain West because the Mountain West has been getting a bad rap going back from last season to this season because they struggled. Nevada was in the first four. They lost to Arizona State. Um, who else made it? You had, oh, Boise State lost in the first round to Northwestern. Nothing wrong with that, but... It was a struggle for the Mountain West, nonetheless, right? And I think it was another team I want to say, but even with that, San Diego State is holding it down. So then you have Creighton versus Princeton is a matchup in the Sweet 16. I know Princeton sounds crazy, but Princeton, man, they're the Cinderella. They are the official Cinderella of the 2023 NCAA tournament. Mitch Henderson and the Tigers. It's honestly funny. One of my friends, shout out to Jaquam, who does a great job with Hoop Dreams NYC. Go check them out on Instagram if, if you get a chance to do that. 
he actually told me at the Ivy League Conference Tournament that Princeton is a really good team. And I kind of laughed at him just because I never really take Ivy League basketball seriously. And I know it's good players. Harvard's had some good teams throughout the years. Columbia's had some good teams. But I never take them serious when it comes to NCAA tournament time just because it's the best of the best. But nonetheless, Tosan, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. He's from England. He's their big man. He was dominant in that game against Arizona. They were the 15th seed. And I don't think it was too many brackets outside of Princeton fans that had Princeton beating Arizona. And I'll be honest, I wasn't a fan of this Arizona team all season long. They had a great season. Tommy Lloyd's doing a great job. Arizona's going to be back on the map very soon if they aren't already. But I just didn't, I never trusted their guard play. I, I just, Kirk Kreese's shot selection is too sporadic for my liking. Courtney Ramey, all he does is really score. He doesn't really look to make anybody better. So to me, Kylan Boswell was their most complete point guard on the roster and they probably didn't play him as much as he should have just because he really isn't even supposed to be there. He's supposed to be there next year. He reclassed and skipped the senior season to go and play there this year. So Arizona got just like Purdue. They got out early and Princeton man Mitch Henderson is a legend in Princeton. He's been a part of the two greatest upsets in program history back in the day when they beat UCLA and now they beat another Pac-12 school in Arizona and so credit to them man and then again they're gonna play Creighton later this week and you guys know how I feel about this Creighton team man everybody kind of count them out early in the season because they went on like that six game losing streak and they literally responded right after with a six game winning streak and now look at them they beat two quality opponents to get here they beat NC State who I liked a lot going into the tournament. Terquavion Smith put on a show. I think he had like 30 points. He had one of the best sequences in the tournament where he had a dunk over Ryan Kalkbrenner, and then he came back and had a big-time block against Baylor Shireman right at the rim. So they survived that, and then they played a Baylor team that blew out UC Santa Barbara, who I thought was going to win that game. They blew him out by 20-plus points. And Keontae George, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and Creighton outplayed them. Ryan Nemhard was the best guard in that game. A lot of people probably would not have guessed that going into it, but he had 30 points. And then Trey Alexander was right there behind him with 17. You know, Baylor Shireman hit some big time shots. Ryan Kalkbrenner has been amazing. And I knew that he was going to come out with a certain hunger because he's probably still angry of what happened last year, a season ago, when they beat San Diego State in the first round. And then Kalkbrenner gets hurt in that same game and he's not able to play against Kansas. And I know he was hurting, and especially Ryan Nemhard too. Ryan Nemhard got hurt late last season. He broke his wrist, and he was out. And he didn't get a chance to play in the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament. So these guys are hungry, and now they're in the Sweet 16. And I like them to beat Princeton, so there's that. Now let's go to probably the, the most fun team to watch left in the tournament. They put on a show this past weekend. They beat a scrappy Montana State team that they pretty much took care of in the first round. And then they went on and played Kentucky on I believe that was Sunday and that is the Kansas State Wildcats Jerome Tang and the gang representing the Pac-12 they just keep on marching literally and figuratively they just keep on doing it Marquise Noel is absolutely showtime he's been showing it all season long but he's putting it on full display come March time and that's what you want to see you want to see the best players arise in the biggest moments when the stakes are at the highest and Marquise Noel has done that to a T. What he did against Kentucky, I think he had 27 points, a whole bunch of assists. Like, he just put on a show. He had a no-look live to Naquan Thomas to end the half. He had a big-time bomb from three to put Kansas State down one late in the game. Like, Kentucky 
played well enough to win this game. Oscar Shibway was dominant. Kaysen Wallace had a big time game, not only on the defensive end of the floor, but especially offensively too. The problem was that Jacob Toppin and Antonio Reeves did not shoot the ball well. And yet even with that, Kentucky was still there down to the wire. But the difference was, is that Kansas State hit bigger dagger-like shots. They had the Marquise Noel bomb. They had the Keontae Johnson step back three. They had the Ish Masood deep, deep three. Like, Kansas State has shooters, and if you don't close out hard, and Kentucky did, but they got them up, and they went in, and that was just it. So, Kansas State, it's moving on. They're going to play a Madison Square Garden later this week, and they're going to take on my Michigan State Spartans, and I told you guys about this team going into the season, man. My Spartans have held it down all season long. They know what they're doing, man. I, I've been saying going into the season that the thing that was going to make this team go was our guard play. Our guard play is high level between A.J. Hogard, Tyson Walker, and I want people to stop forgetting to mention Jaden Akins. Jaden Akins is a player, and he might be the best of the three when it comes to just long-term prospect and especially, you know, looking at the NBA level. But regardless, we, we beat a good USC team. We limited Boogie Ellis. Boogie Ellis has been on a tear all season long when it comes to scoring. We locked him up in that first game, beat USC, I believe, by 10. Then we went on to play the best team in the Big East, the Marquette Golden Eagles, led by Shaka Smart and Tyler Kolek and Camp uh, Jones, alongside Osui Godaro and David Joplin and Omax Prosper. Whole bunch of talent, right? They won the Big East regular season outright, and they won the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden just a week ago. And that game was phenomenal. Like, we took early control of the game, was scoring, and we've struggled in the first half recently, but we took control. Marquette went on a big run to open up the second half, and then from, from there, it was just a dogfight on, like, every single time. We shot 2 of 16 from the three-point line in this game. 2 of 16. If I were to tell you guys that we were going to shoot 2 of 16 from a game, 99.9% .9 chance we're going to lose that game. But we stayed in it. We didn't get flustered. Yes, Tyler Cole got into some foul trouble. AJ Hogarth did as well. But Tyson Walker, man, just like Marquise Noel, these guys are both from New York. They're both going to be playing in Madison Square Garden. That game is going to be a show. He put on the show. Tyson Walker put us on his back and just carried us to the finish line. And Joey Hauser had a big time three against his old school. Yes, he doesn't know anybody from there because the previous coaching staff that he played for is not there anymore. But that was a big time win. And that was a statement win for the Michigan State basketball program. And I keep telling people it's March 2023 and people are still doubting Tom Izzo. Like, when are we going to realize that Tom Izzo is one of the best coaches of all time? Like, I don't know why it, it, it's so hard for that to resonate in the back of people's minds, but Tom Izzo does this. He has the most wins ever as a lower seed in NCAA tournament history, and that's probably going to continue as long as he's at Michigan State, but just put some respect on his name, man. So I'm glad my Spartans are going to be playing against a tough Kansas State team. That's going to be a great matchup. That's one of the more intriguing matchups later this week that's going to take place, so there is that. Now, we got a couple other matchups, and I'll get you guys out of here. I don't want to go too long, but Another matchup, we're going to have the Houston Cougars versus the Miami Hurricanes. Both teams are back in the Sweet 16. They were both, I believe, in the Elite Eight last year. Yes, they were. Miami lost to Kansas, who, of course, went on to win the national championship. And then Houston went to the Elite Eight and lost to Villanova in a very close game. But Houston's route here was interesting. Um, going into it, Marcus Sasser was dealing with a groin injury. He re-aggravated it in the game against Northern Kentucky. Jamal Shedd had a hyperextended knee in the game against Northern Kentucky. And yet, somehow, some way, 
they were still able to pull out that win. And then they played a feisty Auburn team who was coming off a win against a pretty solid Iowa Hawkeyes team. Bruce Pearl used to coach at Iowa way, way back in the day, but they beat them. And this game between Iowa, excuse me, between Auburn and Houston was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Auburn gave up more of a fight than I thought they would. Um, the craziest part about it was that Houston's backcourt got into foul trouble between Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser, and yet they put him on the bench, Kelvin Sampson that is, and they played even better. Houston's team, again, how many teams could put their starting backcourt on the bench because of foul trouble, put in their backups, and play better? They went on a run as soon as Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser left the game, and they just opened it up, and Auburn had no answers for that. So that just shows you the character, the culture, the leadership that Kelvin Sampson has built and identified and established at Houston, and you got to give them a lot of credit. And for Miami, honestly, Miami had two of the more impressive wins this past weekend. They beat a Drake team that a lot of people were loving coming into the tournament as an upset favorite to beat the Canes. I had a feeling that wasn't going to happen. Um, I was kind of concerned, though, just because of Norchad Omier's health status, but he played through it. He was dealing with the ankle injury. He looked fine. He looked like he was 100%. He probably wasn't, but he still played like he was, so you got to give him a lot of credit. But they were struggling in this game against Drake. Drake was giving them fits, and I think Drake led for like 35 minutes of this game. In that last five minutes, Nigel Pack just put the team on his back and carried them to the finish line and won them that game. And they were just big time. And then in their second game, they just manhandled Indiana from start to finish. Like, shout out to Trace Jackson Davis, legendary career. I hate to see him go out like that, but he really just didn't get enough help. And Miami just completely took control of that game and got them about the paint. So then you have that matchup. You have Houston versus Miami. The next one, we got three more. And now I'm going to get you guys out of here. You have Xavier versus Texas. Xavier, Sean Miller is a lucky man. He, he pretty much said it himself after that first game. They played Kennesaw State. And shout out to Amir Abdul-Rahim for what he's done down there in Georgia. Has them boys looking ready. They're going to be a problem for as long as he's there. Sadly, just because of the, the business, he might not be there for long. But as long as he's there, Kennesaw State is going to be a relevant basketball program. They had them beat. Terrell Burton was cooking Xavier. They had no answers for them. But... That last, like, 14 minutes of the game, Kobe Jones just, he put Terrell Burton in a box and he threw away the key and it was nothing Kennesaw State could do. And, and literally, Kennesaw State was leading for a good majority of this game, but Kobe Jones, I've been saying he's an NBA player. He played in high school with Trenton Wofford down there in Alabama, and he's an NBA player, man. He just gets the job done, and he willed his team across the finish line, and they got the job done. Then they played Pitt. Pitt was hot going in, into this game. Um, they won the first four against Mississippi State, where they probably should have lost, but they won it regardless. And then they went into this game just playing with house money. You know, they, they had nothing to lose. They beat Iowa State after that, or excuse me, before that. And then they went into this game versus Xavier, just playing with house money, and Xavier just turned it on. Sule Boom was too much. Jerome Hunter, all, all them guys, they just got him up out of here. So they're going to play Texas. And Texas was interesting because even with everything going on, Texas has not wavered whatsoever. They beat a pretty good Colgate team in the first round. And then they beat one of my favorite teams out of the Big Ten this year, a really good Penn State team, man. Shout out to Jalen Pickett. Shout out to Seth Lundy. Shout out to Miles Dredd, who's the all-time leader in games played at Penn State. All three of those guys had legendary collegiate careers. Salute to them and their future endeavors. I can't wait to see whatever they do. But shout out to them. But honestly, like, this game was one of the best games of the second round. Penn State was 
struggling to score, um, and that's a lot to do with Texas's defense. Timmy Allen was locking down Jalen Pickett, and yet Penn State was still in this game. They were still right there, but Texas, at the end of the game, Dylan DeSue, I think, had like 26 points. He was a monster, and that kind of just shows you what Texas is. Like, when Chris Beard recruited all these transfers in his first year to play at Texas, people got to understand he recruited transfers that aren't just the average transfers. Like, most of these guys were the best player in their previous situation. Serge Barry Rice was one of the best players at New Mexico State a year ago. Christian Bishop was a huge piece at Creighton a couple years ago with Marcus Zagorowski. Same thing with Dylan DeSue at Vanderbilt. Same thing with Marcus Carr at Minnesota. Like, these guys were top-tier players in their previous situations, and now they've been asked to come in and kind of sacrifice a little bit, and that's what they've done. And so you got to give a lot of credit to Roddy Terry, who's done an excellent job getting this Texas team back to the Sweet 16. And again, they're going to play Xavier. Now, I like Texas in that game, man. I'm going to be honest. I just think Texas' defense and offense are better. They're more athletic. They're a bigger team, so they should win that. Now, the final two matchups are honestly my favorite two games. Outside of our game against Kansas State, these last two games, to me, should be the best games of the weekend. You're going to have Arkansas versus UConn. Um, Arkansas, man, what else can I say about Eric Musselman? Back-to-back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances. Um, Devontae Devo Davis was huge this past weekend. They beat a couple good teams. They beat Illinois, who had a rough year, but they still got Brad Underwood out of here. And then they beat Kansas. Yes, it was without Bill Self, but this is still a championship roster. Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick, Kevin McCullough, KJ Adams, Ernest Uday. That game, to me, was one of the best games of this weekend. It went all the way down to the wire. Again, Devo Davis, man, I've been telling people that with all the, the new additions, the transfers, Ricky Council, Nick Smith, Anthony Black, the freshman, Jordan Walsh, with all these guys, I, I was telling people the most important player is a guy like Devontae Devo Davis. You know why? Because in all those back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances, Devontae Devo Davis was a contributing player in all those runs. He was big time in that game against Kansas, and he willed them to the finish line. At the end, Mush just put the ball in Ricky Council's hands, and he told him to go to work. And the thing that I respected Must more than anything this weekend, because you guys know how I feel about Must. I love Must, but the thing that I loved what he did, what a lot of coaches wouldn't do, he benched Nick Smith Jr. Nick Smith Jr. is going to be a lottery pick in this upcoming NBA draft, and he put him on the bench and said, hey, we got players right now that are going to give us a better chance to win. I'm going to need you to sacrifice, and he did it. And you got to give a lot of credit to Nick Smith for that too. And Arkansas is back in the Sweet 16, man. So they beat two good teams in Illinois versus Kansas. And again, they're going to play UConn. Um, UConn beat two good teams. They beat Rick Pitino's Iona Gales, which was an electrifying game in the first half. And they kind of just ran away with it. Um, Adama Sonogo was dominant all weekend long. Jordan Hawkins was special just as well. Um, They beat Iona and they beat St. Mary's. It's a good St. Mary's team. Randy Bennett, Coach Bennett with um, Logan Johnson and Aiden Mahaney, who had a great freshman year. So they beat them. And again, that's going to be a hell of a matchup. Arkansas versus UConn. Eric Musselman versus Danny Hurley. Like, so many intriguing matchups in that game. I like Arkansas in that game personally. Um, so I'm going to rock with that. But that's going to be a great game. And then the last game, the ultimate West Coast game, which I am super excited for. Sadly, um, I wish Jalen Clark would be able to play in this game. But he tore his Achilles in that game against Arizona, um, the regular season Pac-12 finale. Regardless, though. Gonzaga versus UCLA. Um, Gonzaga kind of struggled a little bit early in the first half. They were probably just getting the nerves out early in the first game against Grand Canyon. They ended up just blowing them out in the second half. Then they played against TCU, 
where Drew Timmy is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I know he knows a lot of guys on that team, like Mike Miles um, and Micah Peavy. And that was a great game. Um, TCU shooting came back to haunt him. They definitely could have used Eddie Lampkin in that situation. It's sad because he's in the transfer portal right now, and it's a, a, a very weird, strange situation going on between Eddie Lampkin and Coach Jamie Dixon. But regardless, um, Drew Timmy was dominant, put the team on his back just like he did a year ago against Memphis, where he carried them to the finish line. And that's how that played out. And for UCLA, um, UCLA beat UNC Asheville in the first game. Didn't even need a dim bonus. They beat them by like 20-plus. Um, they got UNC Asheville out of here. And then they beat a scrappy Northwestern team. You know, shout out to Boo Booey and Chase Aldige and Kornheiser and the rest of that and Wildcats group. But they were in that game. Northwestern was right there. But UCLA's experience, you know, Tiger Campbell, um, Jaime Jaquez. And give a lot of credit to Amari Bailey, man. Um, I'm not a big fan of his game, but... Recently, Amari Bailey has been playing his best basketball of the season, and you got to give him a lot of credit for that. You got to give the trust in his teammates for that. You got to give the coaching staff some credit for that. He's been hooping, and his draft stock is going up exponentially, I'd imagine. I don't know where it's at right now because I don't really pay attention to that stuff, but he's been doing a great job of just buying into his role, believing in his role, and excelling in his role. And UCLA, they're going to be in a dogfight against the Gonzaga team. That matchup is going to be interesting because... I don't know. I'm going to pick UCLA just because I think they have the horses to go with Gonzaga. I, I like Tiger Campbell over Gonzaga's guards. And I think a Dembona could get Drew Timmy flustered a little bit. So I'm going to go with UCLA in that game. But, man, I'm excited. I can't wait to get back to you guys. Again, you got Bama versus San Diego State. You got Creighton versus Princeton. You got Florida Atlantic versus Tennessee. You got K-State versus Michigan State. You got Houston versus Miami. Xavier versus Texas. Arkansas versus UConn. And Gonzaga versus UCLA, man. So if you made this far, as always, I appreciate you guys for tuning in, man. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rate and review. March Madness is only going to get better and better as the games wind down. I appreciate you guys. Stay safe out there. I will be back talking to you guys soon. And as always, peace and love gone.